a Lifetime original podcast. This episode covers topics that include murder and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. In the spring of 2005, 18-year-old Tommy Montgomery and 17-year-old Jesse are texting back and forth on Pogo.com's instant message boards under the usernames Marine Sniper 1000 and Tall Hot Blonde Big 50. Over the past few months, they've developed an online romance that goes beyond the screen. Jesse has mailed Tommy her underwear, and Tommy has even got a tattoo of her name below his Marine's tattoo. Always and forever. And even though they've never met in person, you know, they live hundreds of miles apart in New York and West Virginia, they seem committed to each other. Tommy actually proposes to Jesse, and Jesse accepts, which makes me feel pretty uptight as one of my prerequisites is meeting IRL. Can I get a uh, door open uh, sound effect? Okay, that is Wedding Priest 666 who has entered the chat. Marine Sniper 1000, do you take tall, hot, blonde, big 50 to be your digitally wedded wife through malware and in health to Wi-Fi? Do you part? You know what? Ironically, though, in this instance, it will be a real life death that does them part. This is a tale of teenage love on the early internet. A lot can go wrong. And it turns out Tommy isn't the only guy Jesse is chatting with. Enter Beefcake, 1572. Well, not only that, but this new guy, Beefcake, knows Tommy personally. He works with him in New York. The rivalry that sparks between these two guys leaves more than just digital scars. It will devastate three families and leave police wondering, how the hell did an online romance escalate all the way to a shooting? I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, so who is Marine Sniper 1000? Who is Tommy? Who is he? Well, wouldn't you like to know? I would. That's why I'm asking. Oh, well, it's a podcast, so I'll actually, I'll answer it and I'll tell you. Tommy, a.k.a. Marine Sniper 1000, says that he's an 18-year-old New York Marine who's training to be a sniper in Iraq. And man, this guy's resume, I got to tell you, black belt in karate. He's like riddled in cool bullet scars. Well, he has two. And he has thick red hair. He's 6'2", 190 pounds. You know, listen, he sounds like a real catch, doesn't he? Almost too good to be true, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're into that. But immediately, I got to tell you, I see a huge, ginormous red flag. 
listen, maybe it's my 2023 brain or maybe it's the years I've endured of online dating or maybe it's the fact that we make this podcast and frankly, I've lost all faith in people telling the truth. But either way, I just don't think this guy exists, right? Jealous. Sure, that's it. You read me. I'm massively jealous that Jesse's got this guy. And here I am with my, with you, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Oh, God. If this guy were to exist, do you really think that he's going to be on this message board looking for love? Listen, it's 2005, though. Here we are. The world is young and afraid. So let's believe this guy. I don't know. He does have pictures of himself. Do you think they're just like photoshopped versions of Prince Harry? No, he said it was a redheaded Harrison Ford look. So I'm sort of picturing that he put like he drew in the art app red and it's just scribbled. And like a young black and white picture of of Harrison Ford from Star Wars. So good. I mean, she doesn't have a reason not to believe this guy. He talks like an 18-year-old. They And, you know, not just online. They have phone calls and he sounds like an 18-year-old to her. Yeah, and Jesse, a.k.a. tall, hot, blonde, big 50, is just 17 years old, right? I mean, she's pretty young, naive, and I can say that because in 2005, I was 16, and I was pretty naive. So she's chatting with Tommy, and the more he shares and the more vulnerable he gets with her, the more this plays to her heartstrings, and she really starts to fall for this guy. But with that vulnerability, it's kind of like, you know... You get what you get because early on, he actually admits to her that he wasn't always such a good guy. According to one report, he tells Jesse that when he was 17 years old, he actually assaulted a cheerleader and he still feels a lot of guilt about it, which frankly, yeah, you should. Yeah. No question. And in his explanation that joining the military was his way of sort of getting back on the right path. Um, you know, I'm going to say for me, rape is a little more than a red flag. It's sort of um, a red ship mast. But Jesse, not Jesse. 17. She's getting attention. Uh, I can't blame her. No, she loves it. So her response is like to forgive him and to reassure him. And he's loving that. He's taking that to heart, saying she's the best thing that ever happened to him. And she's sort of like... I think feels really good about like, oh, I'm comforting this uh, lost teenage soldier. And so they're getting closer and closer and more intimate. But now it's time for Tommy to be deployed to Iraq. So Tommy's been deployed to Iraq and he's on a military base and he's far from home. He's far from internet access. So Tommy enlists, to borrow a term from the military, he enlists his dad, Tom Sr., to sort of act as the go-between between between Tommy Jr. and Jesse. So Tommy Sr. is relaying her texts, her emails, her packages to Tommy Jr. back and forth. And apparently this is all allowed to happen because his dad has some really good contacts in Iraq, you know? about who you know. Interesting. I guess. It's an interesting thing to be like, I got great contacts in Iraq, but whatever. She doesn't know. Fine. And this is in addition to phone calls that they're continuing to have. Tommy and Jesse are actually allowed or able to talk on the phone every day for like 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night when Tommy is off duty. I guess that lines up with her high school schedule because that's where she is, high school. Um. And, you know, high school, your hormones running wild. They definitely um, really want to be with each other 
physically, not just over the phone, not just over the internet. And the closest thing they can get to that really are these photographs, you know? So Jesse's sending a ton of photos to him. Um, and then she ups the ante. She actually sends him like a homemade music vid. So it's like a slideshow of pictures of her, uh, mm-hmm. you know, playing softball, working as a lifeguard, going swimming. And underneath the slideshow, the song that is playing is Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Wow. That song brings back memories. Because I slow danced to that song a lot in junior high. That was like the closer song. But something just doesn't seem to be sitting right with Tommy. When he's receiving these videos and photos and stuff like that, he begins to suspect that Jesse, she's not putting all this work in for just one recipient. She's sending them to a lot of different recipients. You know, he's a little worried about that. I mean, I think he sees this really, really great video that has like a song in the background and you're like, wow. And it, whatever year this, is, you know, this is happening in the early. Before, like, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have access to such wonderful technology as we do today. Instagram didn't put it together for her. She no. did this herself. It's a lot of work. Probably she should share it with as many people as possible. It's I would. Work of Are art. you kidding? If I put that much time and energy, I got to be like, let's send this out wide and far. See what I catch. Thirst trap. Sure. But he's like getting this feeling so he feels jealous and he confronts her and she's like yeah I mean of course I have in the past met people online that I've maybe sent pictures to so this begins their first real fight because Tommy feels very betrayed and Jesse ends up promising I'll never do it again and things go cold for a minute she comes back to him she apologizes profusely and as a token of her love for him She sends him a letter, and enclosed is this silver chain with a key to my heart pendant on it. And in addition to this, she also sends him one of her G-strings. And Hmm. what beautiful teenage love. She signs a letter with a heart and their initials, T and J, inside it. And I got to tell you, when I was her age, I don't think I would have the confidence to send that. I don't think I was wearing that, you know. So, you know, good for her. Well, Tommy does forgive her. He gets that G-string. He forgives her right away. After this, though, it's like this is their first big fight. They've overcome it. It probably is like they're riding high on that. Everyone loves that feeling. Things go back to normal. Um, Well, they're normal, which I guess is being in a committed relationship with someone they've never met. Um, I can't be the only one that's skeptical here, folks. (laughs) Tommy's dad... Tommy's dad, who's been passing uh, these messages back and forth, he's like the G-string courier, um, which also makes me extremely uncomfortable. God, she sent it. Wait, she sent it to his dad to send to him. Don't open this. Give it to Tommy. Oh, God. So he doesn't believe the apology. He's worried about his kid. He thinks that she is still cheating. Yeah, so what does any grown man do? He gets involved in his teenage kid's romantic life. He starts to message Jesse himself, and he starts to warn her not to play with his son's heart. He tells her that his son might believe her lying ass, but he sure doesn't. She's going to hurt Tommy, and he doesn't want to play any part of it. To be clear, again, I just want to reiterate, this is an adult reprimanding a 17-year-old girl. Another red flag, dare I say. Bizarre, yeah. Well, whatever the dad's misgivings are, Tommy clearly doesn't have them. He's he's in love. And around Christmas of 2005, they've now been together 
eight months, again, never physically together, Tommy proposes to Jesse. And she says yes. Wild. I've dated someone for years, have lived with them, have been around them often, never gotten a proposal. So maybe that's the thing, too. Maybe I should learn to forgive is to get a G-string and to be proposed to is to never meet them. Noted. Yeah, you have a lot to learn. I do. Jesse, teach me your ways. After this proposal, Jesse finds poinsettias from Tommy sent to her on her doorstep, and then he gets another letter, you know, filled with G-strings. Mm. Um, there's a dog tag that reads, Tom and Jesse, always and forever. Gift, gift, gifts. Gifts abound. And they say chivalry and romance is dead. So they finally plan to find a date to meet IRL in real life. And Jesse, she can't wait. But she's also really nervous, right? I mean, this is the first time they're going to see each other in person. And obviously, all the anxiety that comes along with it is really hard. She's nervous that they're going to consummate their relationship. But she also can't wait to become Jessica Blair Montgomery. But you're not going to believe this. There's a Hmm. big problem. What? Our first problem that we're encountering in this relationship? Do tell. I don't know if it's our first. There was a rape early on, but Tommy is only half of who he claims to be. Or another way of looking at it is he's twice who he claims to be. Okay. Yeah, let me explain. Uh, Please. So for the past eight months, Jesse thinks she's been talking to this 18-year-old guy, you know, 6'2", 190 pounds, who joined the military to straighten his life out after raping a cheerleader. But in reality, none of that is true. Tommy's not an 18-year-old Marine. Not anymore, anyways. He was several decades ago. And Tommy is known now in his real life as Thomas. And as that name might suggest, he is very much an adult, three times Jesse's age. So that's right. Marine Sniper 1000 is actually 46-year-old Tommy Montgomery. And... At this point, he's proposed to Jesse, and she's accepted the proposal, and he's really excited. You know, reality be damned. He actually raves about Jesse to his coworkers at the Dynabraid factory in upstate New York. He tells them that he's going to leave his wife, and he's going to move to West Virginia to be with Jesse. Yeah, I can't believe he's so open about this. Right. I mean, subtlety does not seem to be a strong suit, but also neither does reality. Because for New Year's, he does this thing where he writes down his resolution on a company notepad, and it says on this notepad, on January 2nd, 2006, Tom Montgomery ceases to exist and is replaced by an 18-year-old battle-scarred Marine. He is moving to West Virginia to be with the love of his life. And he writes down how he will look and how much money he'll have in his bank account and all these sort of things. And I'm like, Thomas, I think someone needs to explain to you how resolutions work. Well, yeah. I mean, some of these aren't attainable, right? Like legitimately cannot happen. He's 46 years old and he's pretending to be an 18-year-old Marine, right? That's just impossible, which to me at this point is sort of like we're sort of you know, scratching the surface of maybe some, like, delusions of grandeur, right? You know, like, he's, there's clearly something in his mind that's not, there's some cognitive dissonance at play here. 
Yes. He thinks he can the secret a new identity. Like, I write down drink more water and floss, and he writes down, like, grow wings and become a unicorn. Like, what the hell? But listen, there are, again, there are, he didn't totally go from scratch, right? Like, Thomas Montgomery, 46-year-old, actually was in the Marines. So he does have, like, some truth, right? Where they say when you come up with another personality or a person. No, they say when you lie, tell a little bit of truths. That's his truth. He was in the Marines, um, but 16 years ago. Um, but he was never a sniper, and he never actually saw active duty. And obviously, he's not actually serving in Iraq. Yeah, which is why he can have telephone calls all the time with her. Thomas is a middle-aged man that lives at home. He has reddish-brown hair. He has a big gut. He has an age-appropriate wife named Cindy, who I'm starting to feel very sorry for. Well, I'm feeling sorry for his kids. Oh, yeah, two of them. He has daughters, age 12, age 14. Uh, You know, not that much younger than Jesse. No, ick, ick, ick. That's what I'm saying. Like, this guy should be looking at Jesse as, as, you know— this could be one of his daughters talking to someone online. Yeah. Anyway, the community will say that this guy is a loving dad. He's a great guy. He's very active in the community. He's vice president of the local swim club. And the reason he got online was not uh, supposedly to meet young girls and uh, lie to them and get engaged to them, but rather to go on pogo.com and just play Texas Hold'em with his pals from work. And for a while now, Cindy, Thomas's wife, has noticed that something's up. Something's changed. He seems distracted. He's inattentive to his family. Like, her blink is going off. They've been married for 16 years, and at this point, it feels like he's actually married to the home computer. Yeah, he's on it all the time. So she's like, what are you doing? She's suspicious. And then her suspicions are totally confirmed in February of 2006 when she discovers this mountain of G-strings, is what I'm picturing, uh, and all these messages that are between, quote, Tommy and Jesse. And she's shocked to figure out, like, not only was he cheating on her, but he also might be a child predator. And Cindy's a mom. Like we mentioned, she has two daughters. She has a 12 and a 14-year-old. I think she feels responsibility as a mother, but I also think she wants this to stop, right? So mm-hmm. of course, she feels compelled to tell Jesse the truth, no matter how much it might hurt this 17-year-old girl. So she writes a letter to Jesse telling her everything. She even encloses a photo of the real Tommy with their family as proof to Jesse. She ends the note with a warning. Do not trust words on a computer. I cannot imagine what Cindy is going through to be a mom to a 14-year-old and find out that your husband is fake engaged to a 17-year-old three years apart from your kid's age. It's like the hits keep coming. She's like, I don't think something's wrong. Something's wrong. And then when she uncovers the G-strings, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So Jesse opens this letter uh, addressed to her from Cindy, and she is shocked. This can't be true. Tommy cannot be made up. He's real. She's engaged to him. She's seen pictures of him. She's talked to him on the phone. 
So I think like all this feeling of being a teenager and having this taken away is too much for her. She's like, you know what? This can't be so. Cindy's probably just somebody that is jealous and also after him. She's just trying to get rid of me so she can have him to herself. But, you know, she's also – she's not sure. She needs to figure this out. So she does what any of us would do. She investigates. She starts to do her own research. And she remembers that Tommy had mentioned a friend in passing. It's this guy with the username Beefcake1572, a.k.a. Brian Barrett. Like Tommy – Brian is very active on Pogo.com. So Jesse reaches out to him to see if she can confirm the information in Cindy's story. Let me tell you guys something. Brian's 22, and I'm not going to later tell you that isn't so. He's 22 years old for reals, okay? He works part-time at the same factory as Thomas, and he is one of those guys in the Texas Hold'em room playing poker. Yeah. Um, Unlike Tommy... Brian presents himself to Jesse as Brian, and he is Brian. His online picture is really of him. He's the real deal. So Jesse actually messages him about Tommy, and she asks if Tommy is, in fact, a real-life middle-aged man with a wife and kids. And Brian confirms her worst suspicions, that Thomas is exactly who Cindy says he is. So she's devastated. I mean, they were... They were in love. She's picturing her wedding, and what she's picturing, the guy that that is standing there as she walks down the aisle, that guy's not real. He's from the past. He doesn't exist unless she can find a time machine. But all these emotions have gotten so sort of high for her. Um, I think it's really hard to walk away at this point. It's been eight months, and that's it doesn't feel that easy to just close the computer, you know? Plus, it's probably not a laptop because it's the early, early 2000s. 2000s. Well, also, I mean, too, it's she didn't meet him in person anyway, right? Like mm-hmm. this all existed in her imagination, and I'm sure that has a little something to do with it. So the next time she gets online, she actually messages Brian again. And Brian and her, they start to play games together. Um, they start messaging each other. And it sort of scratches that itch of what it was like to message Tommy in the early days. And so while she's going through this sort of mourning and grieving and this upheaval of what her expectation was, she leans on Brian and he actually helps her get through this mess. And in some ways, they both sort of have this shared anger at Thomas. And that Mm -hmm. anger transforms into the beginnings of a very beautiful newfound friendship. So by March 2006, Brian and Jesse, they've kept talking over the last month and they've gotten closer. Now, they're not in a relationship and Brian says he never even really like wanted to be her boyfriend, but Jesse is actively pursuing him and they start posting comments in public forums that suggest Thomas is a pedophile and they start sort of online taunting him. And listen, it, it is really, really hard for me to feel sorry for Thomas. I, yeah. But at the same time, I would label what she and Brian do as a kind of bullying. Like, they, they're they a little bit going after him as much as they can. Yeah, yeah. It is hard to feel bad for him. But in this way, I, yeah, it's a very conflicting feeling. I totally agree. Yeah, I would have liked to seen, like, a clear shutdown of him in some way. But I think, like, 
what they do is they they even Jesse gives Brian her account login and he logs in pretending to be her and talking to Thomas, which is like very humiliating and sort of bizarre. Uh, you know, let's not pretend to be other people, folks. Well, I think the other thing, too, yeah, I think that's the lesson here. But I also think, too, there is something unique about this in that Brian and Tommy know each other. Mm-hmm. And so it feels more pointed. Like, I, it's almost like when things are online and no one knows who anybody actually is and it's the anonymity, to me it's the fact that, like, there is an intrapersonal relationship here that feels icky to me. And well, it's work, crossing over. It's into crossing that. over exactly because at work, Brian brags openly to anyone who will listen, including Thomas, about his friendship with Jesse. And at this point, too, like the people at the office are also finding out about what Thomas did, and so he's feeling the heat um, for what he's done to Jesse, both online, at work, and at home. Because Cindy has kicked Thomas out of their bedroom and he's now moved into the basement of their home. They're discussing splitting up and Thomas's neighbors and coworkers are all looking at him differently. It, like he's he's getting pretty ostracized from his community, from anyone, anywhere that he would feel safe. Well, and... I get it. Yeah, I mean, I know... Yeah. I think we would argue deservingly, but... Yeah, yeah. According to an article in Wired Magazine, Thomas thinks that everyone sees him as a loser at best and a predator at worst. And remember, he was sort of this, like, not pillar of society, but he was, like, around. He was, like, coaching yeah. swim teams and stuff. And now nobody wants their kids near this guy. Um, I wouldn't want him near my daughter's on swim team. There. I said it. No, um, of course not. <laughs> listen, that feels like a very obvious nope for me. Um, so Thomas feels like his life is falling apart, and it is. And in the after effects of these consequences that he's sort of feeling, he actually contemplates suicide. Um, and it's sort of in this weird echo of that New Year's resolution he wrote down. He sends a cryptic message to Jesse saying, you can say goodbye forever to me and Tommy. I think that's so manipulative totally. the way that he phrases totally. that because I do think that he is trying to um, stake claim on this false identity, this Tommy that he's created and kind of make her think of it as real, almost like he is two people and like mm-hmm. this person you loved, you didn't find out that they were fake. You just found out there's two of us is sort of like the mythology I feel like he's totally. promoting. And it sort of works. And I feel like it's showing he's sick. Like, this guy clearly is sick. Yeah, he won't let go of it either. I mean, I say that he's, like, doing this intentionally, but I think in his own head, he won't let go of the idea that he's going to magically burst into a blue flame and turn into an 18-year-old. So Jesse, hearing this, she writes back. She doesn't cut him off. She Maybe she, like, feels bad for... Um, her hand in humiliating him. Maybe she just feels really drawn to Tommy. I think that's what it is. I think she doesn't want to let go of the fantasy because she writes things back to him like, if he existed, I would still be holding him every night and sharing dreams with him every night. And she writes, I ache to be with Tommy. So they're both sort of on team. Let's keep Tommy the fantasy alive. She's 17, you know? I mean, she's a kid. 
And the middle-aged Tommy, in response, rejects her. He tells her that she can go fill the void with some other admirer. His life is ruined. Talking to her even more isn't going to help that. But Jesse just keeps messaging him. I'm sure, like, these threats of ending his life are having an effect on her. Of course. Um, you know, and, and she feels like it's her fault, which is, like, the opposite. But she promises him, I'll stop talking to Brian. I only was talking to him to bother you um, and to sort of, like, get revenge for you lying to me. But, but that's over now. And for some reason, she just keeps pushing, which reignites hope in Thomas that there is still something to salvage here. This this relationship, baby, it is real. And if it is, he's going to do anything he can to keep it. I don't know if you feel this way, Quinn, but it feels heavily coerced to me. I think it's so interesting that he played all these mind games to yeah. uh, string her along and to get her to, I, I want to almost say, fall in love with him. But then it's weird because it feels like he's actually ready to walk away once he once the jig is up, and she's not ready for him to walk away. I actually think he's being coercive to her 100%. I think the fact that he, if he was willing to leave, he would cut her off and he wouldn't guilt her. If he was okay. leaving, he would shut it down, and he didn't. He's, like, threatening to end his life. He's And I think this girl is essentially going, oh my gosh, I need to save him because if he, if something happens, it's my fault. Like, I think she's being totally coerced and in, in sort of like pledging her loyalty to him at this moment, she's, she's not being honest, right? I mean, she's not going to drop Brian. For one, he's actually closer to her age and she feels a real genuine connection with him. They talk about, you know, things that are sort of, they have in common, like prom, part-time jobs, you know, teenage stuff. Yeah, and she's sort of uh, going after Brian too, right? She's like sending him some some sexy messages. Clearly she's into him, and eventually Brian starts to reciprocate that vibe, you know, and, and he wants to take things further. He wants, first of all, he wants for them to go public with their relationship, but that feels really scary to Jesse because of Thomas. So she's like, hmm. Let's let's keep it on the DL for now. Yeah, she's like really trying to play all the sides, right? Um, right. But eventually she does give in and um, her and Brian, they do post about their relationship on the chat boards, on the message boards. And that is a huge mistake because Thomas obviously reads this. I don't know why he's still on Pogo.com. Texas Hold'em can't be that fun. And he <laughs> sees this and he is – He's distraught. He actually messages Brian. He says, I can't believe you chose her over our friendship. Yeah. What friendship uh, did they have at this point? I'm know. so confused. Well, to, I guess to Thomas's point, they have actually met in real life, um, unlike anyone meeting Jesse. So, yeah, but I, also I, Brian's told everyone and is like, it's just this, it's very interesting. It doesn't sound like they had a great friendship to begin with, um, but. Even messaging Brian that is super mellow compared to the kind of messages he's sending to Jesse, you know? He seems like he really wants to stir the pot, start fights, start fights with her, start fights with Brian. To Brian's credit, he's playing it really cool. 
Um, and he tells Thomas, I'm not even that interested in Jesse. She's the one that's been pursuing me. But Thomas, he doesn't like buy that narrative. He definitely thinks it's the other way around. But at this point, he's like, I just want both of you to leave me alone. I don't want to talk to either of you ever again. I want to put this in the past. Okay, but Jesse does not heed that advice. She keeps talking to both guys. She talks to Brian and to Thomas. And Thomas is sending her these hateful messages, and he calls Brian her pimp. He actually threatens to send her address and her bikini pictures all over the U.S., all over the internet, and tells her that payback is a mother f- which, like, for say what you want, and I know revenge porn laws aren't intact, but, like, this is revenge porn. He's threatening revenge porn. Yeah, Thomas is not... If you already you already knew Thomas wasn't a good guy, guess what? You're right, and we're just gonna double down on that and let you know that he does some pretty shitty things to this underage girl, and he's not subtle either about any of it. Like the threats are really crazy, and the language that he uses is all really graphic. He kind of does this thing where he obsesses with her, the idea of her being sexual with Brian. And he just, like, keeps asking really over-the-top, sexy, obsessive questions about them having sex and doesn't she want to have sex with him. And it's really sinister. And Jessie's in this position where she just has to deny it over and over again and explain they're not having sex, she's not interested in having sex, she didn't want to meet up with him when he was near West Virginia. She's just having to play defense. So once again, Jesse convinces Thomas that she's telling the truth and she's not going to be with Brian and she promises that she will not lie to him again. And to this end, Thomas threatens her. He says, if I find out any lies were told to me, you'll lose something very close to you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Spring is sprung. It's May 2006. And Thomas. Summer. Sorry. I mean, I, th- I call it spring. I think the weather's changing. Thomas yeah. is like, I'm going to go on a run. I'm going to change this body. I'm not going to rely on my strange like mythology fantasies to change my body for me. So he's trying to lose weight. He's trying to gain some muscle. Um, He's running five miles a day. 
it kind of puts this image in my head of like, this guy's really going to make a change in his life outside and in, but actually just out. Yeah, because I don't see any change within <laughs> happening to this guy. No, no. He's like still on bad behavior. He's being extra weird at work, um, really erratic. Anything can set him off. And he's even making not so veiled threats towards his coworkers. He's just, he's becoming more and more unhinged, which is really a lot. That's a lot for a guy that thought that he could resolution himself into a unicorn. I think that the crazy, though, as far as, like, his public persona, it was hidden before. And then when everything with Jesse became public, he was like, why bother even hiding the crazy? And so it's all out in the open now. And one of his coworkers even wears a bulletproof vest to work. Kind of as a joke, but I think maybe kind of not. Ha ha, ha ha, ha ha, ha ha. So funny, so funny. If I were on this guy, I'd for sure wear a bulletproof vest as well. Again, it doesn't seem like a funny and joke, a but... Chastity he, belt. He's yeah, after ch- people. Yeah, I just feels like at this point, Thomas is going for broke. Right. It's like he has nothing to lose and everything to gain. And online, he and Jesse are chatting again. But this time, they're just friends, right? Nothing more. And it's hard to believe that they're just friends at this point because some of their conversation gets a little heated in that there's a lot of sexual innuendo. For example, he talks about his snake and her West Virginia fox. Like, you know. I do with all my friends. Quinn, you know how often I talk about a snake and a West Virginia fox, right? Oh, my God. Horrible. I'm going to barf if you keep doing this. <laughs> like, I can't Absolutely handle it. Absolutely not. But it's not all friendship and innuendos because he's also rageful, you know? Like, he flips into these jealous fits of rage. And Jesse at this point, is not hiding that she's talking to other guys online and anytime Thomas notices, he's completely set off. Yeah, and he threatens to post her address online again. He threatens to delete her from his friends list. And I would say that that please, first please threat do. feels please. scary. The second is like, yeah, that'd be maybe a welcome change of pace. Yeah. Um, but she is actually begging him, please don't do either. I really want to be friends. Um, you know, and who can blame her? He's this horribly... Um, unattractive older man that spends hours vacillating between wanting to have internet sex with her and belittling and threatening her. Yeah, you really don't want to lose that friendship. It's very like an abusive relationship where it feels like she can't get out of the cycle and it's hard for her to walk away. So she's going to come back no matter how bad the behavior gets. At one point, it gets so bad that Jesse texts Thomas and says that her mom wants to talk to him. She wants Thomas to stop texting her daughter altogether. And Thomas quite maturely responds that he'll stop if she stops. It's just like one step away from, I know you are, but what am I? Yeah, right. Adult to adult, she calls him and asks him to leave her kid alone. Leave and her he's daughter like, alone. Here's the thing I would, but I'm rubber in your glue. <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's interesting, though, that at this point, Jessie is like, I need help. She does go to a parent and ask for help, which I think is a really amazing thing that she does. Yeah, definitely the right thing to do. Um, And then, 
Let's go ahead and shoot forward to the summer of that year in 2006. Thomas sees an update on Jesse's MySpace profile, and the update is that her and Brian have just become friends. And he sees this, and he absolutely loses it. And so, of course, the first thing to do is berate Jesse online. And she's trying to calm him down, and they're going back and forth for basically days. And then Jesse gives up. On September 13th, 2006, Jesse logs off. She gives into Thomas's demands, and she agrees she'll stop talking to Brian altogether. The next day, Thomas sends her another hateful message. He's just looking to get a reaction out of her, but she doesn't bite. The morning after that, he calls her, he wakes her up, and he starts screaming at her. Jesse hangs up on him. Yeah, it seems like she's actually finally drawing the line, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's totally a little bit like, that's enough. Yeah. And she goes to Brian and warns him, Thomas is livid. He might do something crazy. And Brian is sort of like, eh, don't worry, I'll be fine. But then he's like, well, will I be fine? I gotta say that Thomas did try to hit me with his car the other day in the parking lot at work, which seems pretty alarming to me. And he asked Jesse, do you think that I should tell someone? And she sort of thinks about this and, and she's like, yeah, I mean, I'm afraid of him. I don't think it would be a bad idea to tell someone. At 10.16 at night on Friday, September 15th, 2006, Brian clocks out of work at the factory. He then walks to his car, he gets in the driver's seat, he settles in, and he doesn't notice that his back tire is flat. He's not going anywhere. Before Brian can even start his car, three shots pierce through the driver's side window, hitting Brian in the neck and arm. He slumps over, and he dies. He's only 22 years old. So it's actually two days that go by before anyone finds Brian's body. It just lays there all weekend. But as soon as they find him, everybody is like, it was Thomas. It was Thomas Montgomery. He openly talked about how much he hated Brian for a really long time, and he was there the night that Brian died. And as soon as the police get his name, the evidence just starts to pour in. His time card and his cell phone records prove that he was there that night. And they also have a message he sent to Jesse at midnight, the night of Brian's death, saying, you waiting for your boyfriend? Ugh, it's so sinister and icky. I just can't imagine not only being so cold-blooded to do something like that, but then to do something like smarmy, like in that sort of tone afterward. It's like no remorse after, right? Like the killing happened at 1016. Then at midnight, he reaches out to Jesse. It's like the hate is still fueling him. There's absolutely no remorse, no regret. It's diabolical. So when they start questioning people, investigators hear about this weird online love triangle between Jesse Thomas and Brian. And because Brian has just been killed, they're very worried about Jesse. She could be next. So they find her phone number and Brian's phone, and they call her in the middle of the night, and they warn her, you could be in danger. This has gotten out of control. We would like to send an officer to your house tomorrow. 
And she's terrified. She's like, of course. The next morning, a West Virginia police officer knocks on her door and is greeted by Jesse's mom, Mary Sheeler. Mary tells them that Jesse's not there right now and that she actually doesn't have a way to contact her daughter. But she invites the officer in so that she can help answer any questions he might have. So when the officer comes in, his blink kind of goes off. He feels like something is a little bit strange about this interaction because they had just called Jesse earlier to confirm that they would be there to protect her, right? So they start to press Mary for more information about Jesse and what's going on. Yeah, they're like, where's Jesse? We just told her to stay put. She seemed scared. Why the hell would she leave? And you're her mom. Why wouldn't you tell her to stay? Why'd you let her? And Mary, her demeanor is kind of bizarre. She seems really nervous. She's acting weird. And they keep questioning her. And she gets more and more upset and then just starts crying. And then the truth just sort of pours out of her. The Jesse that they are looking for is right in front of them. Mary is Jesse. Okay, let's be really clear here. Jesse is actually the name of Mary's teenage daughter. However, the person talking to Thomas and Brian has been Mary the whole time. Mary's actually been using her daughter's name and pictures to catfish Thomas and Brian for more than a year. She's pretending to be her daughter online. But now a man just died. And the other man she was talking to is wanted for killing him. And the thing is, Jesse, this teenage girl has never typed a word to either of them. She's somehow still in the middle of it all. It's like this is this Oz moment. And we just like revealed the man behind the curtain. And it's Mary Sheeler. And she is like a lot more like Thomas that first guy she started talking to, than she ever let on, which is to say she's middle-aged, stout, a mother of two, well-liked in the community. She's also working part-time at her kid's school and going all these sporting events. I mean, these two have a lot in common. She and Thomas, from the outset, they both have what I would say, well, it, it's they have a pretty casual relationship with the truth. And no one knows what she's been up to, which is just wild. She's kept all of it a secret until now when hit the fan. But because of the high-profile nature of this investigation, there's no way it can be kept a secret for much longer. On November 27, 2006, Thomas Montgomery is arrested for Brian Barrett's murder. Once in custody, investigators reveal to him who he has been talking to all that time. Not a tall, thin, blonde teenager named Jesse, but her middle-aged, plain-jane mom, Mary. Oh, to be a fly on the wall when this was revealed. Oh, yes. if I were there. He is absolutely dumbfounded. Like, gobsmacked, dumbstruck. He goes pale, he goes silent. He's just killed a guy over a woman he's never met. And the woman isn't even who he thinks she is. It's a lie. The catfish has been catfished. 
he pleads not guilty to a charge of second-degree murder. Now, over the next several months, his wife, Cindy, will, of course, leave him. And his daughters write him letters saying they don't want to have anything to do with him ever again. Eventually, he attempts suicide with a cellmate's sleeping pills, but he survives long enough to make it to his trial in August of 2007. And at this point, he has nothing to lose. You know, he's, he's overcome with guilt and he realizes he just has to admit it. So he changes his plea to guilty of first-degree manslaughter. He admits openly to shooting Brian Barrett with his 30 caliber carbine rifle, and he accepts his punishment. He's sentenced to 20 years in prison. Yeah, and I just want to say, I, I, I question the amount of guilt he feels and wonder mm-hmm. if he just realized that the Wanted case was so over. strong against him, it was foolish to plead yeah, maybe not it's guilty. Not guilt. You know what? I think that's right. I don't think it's guilt. I think at the end of the day, at that point, it's like, what is he fighting for? Like, wh- I mean, I think he's lost all hope. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. This woman that he thought he loved isn't real. Like, what is he fighting for? Just accept your guilt and move on. Yeah. Right. And the evidence that he did this is just so strong. And then you yeah. have Mary Sheeler on the other hand. She's mm-hmm. not charged with a crime. She didn't yeah. do anything that they can find under the umbrella of illegal. It was totally legal how she communicated with Thomas and Brian. It was unconscionable, but it was legal. I mean, I think it's very important to say that she did not break the law at all. However, in my eyes, what she did was morally reprehensible. And she knows what she did was wrong because she doesn't want her husband or her daughter to find out what she's been up to. You know, she's trying to hide it from them. No, during this whole time, she's been trying to keep it a secret. This whole time. And she's done a pretty good job of keeping it a secret. Yeah, I mean, but this is national news. Like, it's bound to get out. And so she ends up trying to cover her tracks by telling her husband that what happened was that she was in a chat room and happened to meet a mentally ill man. And then their conversations led to a shooting. You know, She never tells him the full scope of exactly what happened, that she pretended to be their own daughter, and she developed a full-on relationship with this pen pal. That never comes to light. She's just trying to cover it up with a lot of vague details and denials. And I think we know at this point, Mary is a pretty good liar, and she is both specific enough and vague enough that her husband hears the story, believes her version of it, and does sort of back off. But Jesse doesn't. The real Jesse doesn't because there's kind of like mumblings and mm-hmm. rumors and stuff floating around at school. And she kind of hears her mom's name coming up. So she gets online to search for answers herself. And she finds out this way. Her mom doesn't <sighs> tell her, doesn't come to her and ask for forgiveness. What happens is she finds out online what was done in her name with her likeness by her mother this is so gross because at the end of the day you know these these correspondence with jesse's name is going to be brought up in the trial it's going to be public record and it's so vile to me that her mother her mother was using these photos of her own kid yeah like to be jesse and this person 
that is supposed to protect you from things exactly like this, right? And she's putting her in the middle of it all. Yeah. Oh, it's so vile. It's vile. I have no other words. It's so disgusting. She's mortified. She's disgusted. And of course, she's furious. And as a child, she now also shoulders the responsibility of going to her father and telling her what Mary wouldn't, which is the truth. Which is the truth. She now, the kid in the family, has to be like, Dad, this is actually what mom did. What's so crazy to me is that by using her daughter's likeness, this led to the killing of another man. She put her daughter in harm's way so many times. Like, what if this guy was, it now makes sense to me why she kept talking to this guy because she was afraid that like her daughter's picture and her home address was going to be all over the internet and her daughter would have no idea. Remember, they were mailing each other stuff. Like he knew where she lived. It is not unheard of to me in any way, shape or form that Thomas shoots Brian that night, gets in his car and just heads to West Virginia to kill Jesse next. And he has a particular idea in his head of what Jesse looks like. And it's not what Mary Sheeler looks like. It's what her daughter looks like. And listen, legally, she did nothing wrong. And we, we will say that legally she did nothing wrong. And once the truth is exposed to her husband and her daughter finds out the truth, Mary's husband obviously leaves her. Jesse cuts ties with her completely, obviously. And Mary ends up moving back home with her parents. Obviously, this is a horrible, horrible thing that happened, and we didn't have the chance to tell you very much about the victim in this story, Brian Barrett, but a lot of people described Brian as easygoing and quiet. He was a student at the time at Buffalo State College, just working part-time and living with his parents. He was aspiring to become an industrial arts teacher And he'd spent the past summer coaching Little League and helping his dad coach soccer. He was just a kid. And in this puddle of lies, he was somebody that was telling the truth. Erie County's first deputy district attorney actually pointed out that, ironically, the only person telling the truth here was the victim. He was not out trying to deceive anybody. And I think it's also interesting at this point, too, you know, we we talk often about, you know, the families and loved ones of victims who will use someone's name to try to make the world a better place. And so in the aftermath of his death, Brian's parents end up starting a petition to protect others from catfishing. But as of today, there are no laws against catfishing that have been passed in the U.S. since his murder. And I think these cases are so interesting because it's like our legal system hasn't caught up to the capabilities of the online age that we are in. And listen, obviously this story is full of twists and turns, and um, we loved telling this story because it's so interesting. Um, But there's also a Lifetime movie version of this story that we want to tell you about. And you can watch Tall Hot Blonde, which was directed by Courtney Cox on MyLifetime.com. Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime and stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it just might be the case we talk about next. We used many sources in our research for today's episode. Among the most helpful were the following. 
an article in Wired magazine entitled An I Am Infatuation Turned to Romance, Then the Truth Came Out, by Nadia Labi. An article in the New York Times entitled A Pretend Web Romance, Then a Real-Life Murder, by David Staba. And the documentary Tall Hot Blonde by Barbara Schroeder. If you'd like to learn more about this story, we recommend you check out these sources. Crime of a Lifetime is produced by Tanner Robbins. Our associate producers are Hazel May and us. Quinlan Posner. And Carrie Ipema. Our sound designer and editor is Hans Dale Shee. Our senior producer is John Thrasher. McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer and Jesse Katz is our executive producer. If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Copyright 2023, a and Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved.